When I was in middle school, I was the second chair violinist. And that sounds really important and to be held in high esteem. But in reality, I was the second chair of the second violin section, which meant that of the entire orchestra, we were the JV squad. We were the backup quarterbacks. We were kept in the background away from the public spotlight where the first violinist would be. So really, by being second chair of second violin, I was one of the overachievers of the underachievers. So it's really not as uh, glamorous as it might seem, but it did give me an appreciation for what an orchestra is. An orchestra is one entity composed of diverse instruments. So each instrument plays its part to create the song, to create music. And certain instruments are more prominent than others. But that doesn't render the less prominent instruments as unnecessary. You need your cello section, even though they're not really the main attraction. Paul wants the church to know that they are one body with diverse gifts, just as an orchestra is one entity composed of diverse instruments. And just like in an orchestra, some gifts, some instruments have a bigger wow factor than others. But every gift, and by extension every member, matters. And when the diverse instruments of the church play together in harmony, the end result is a unique kind of song, the song of love. And this is what binds the church together. This is Understanding First Corinthians. Paul's main concern in 1 Corinthians is the unity of the church in Christ. He doesn't want factions, sexual immorality, food practices, marital status, lawsuits, or behavior during the Lord's Supper to divide the one body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, he turns his attention to the issue of spiritual gifts. Certain members have exalted themselves over others because their spiritual gifts are more spectacular than others, at least worldly speaking. And people have taken the gracious gifts of the Holy Spirit to serve themselves rather than others. So as I read chapters 12 and 13, pay attention to the way Paul speaks about the purpose of gifts and how love binds everything together. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul calls Corinth to unity with three important truths. First, there are varieties of gifts by the same Spirit, verses 1 through 11 in chapter 12. Second, there are varieties of members but one body, chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. And third, love binds it all together, chapter 13, 1 through 13. Let's look at that first point. There are varieties of gifts by the same Spirit. Some Corinthians assume that because people lack the pyrotechnics of their particular spiritual gift, that they do not possess the Spirit. But Paul rebukes that attitude. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, because apart from the Spirit, no one can confess that Jesus is Lord. So stop comparing yourselves and instead thank God that though you were once enslaved to mute idols as pagans, you now serve the true and living God by his spirit. Now notice Paul's Trinitarian language. He says that we have different gifts, but the same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, and God empowers both. So our gifts come from God, who is the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father. 
There's this Trinitarian understanding that's there in seed form in Paul's writings. And this leads to Paul listing out a series of spiritual gifts that come from the one God, from the one spirit. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And he goes on in greater detail on the nature of these gifts in chapter 14. But for now, the point is this. Whatever gift you have, it is not meant to elevate yourself, but rather to serve the common good. Because it's the Spirit who apportions as He wills. You have nothing to boast in. It is purely the Spirit apportioning to each person a unique gift. Now, Corinth has a problem with people boasting in both their wisdom and knowledge and their supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. And we often think of those things at odds. The the proud theology nerds stay far away from tongues and prophecy, and the zealous charismatics look down on those lofty theological uh, conversations and the nerdiness over doctrine. But in Corinth, it was the wise and understanding who knew a lot who also spoke in tongues and did miracles, it seems like, or at least both of those kind of aberrations were present, that people were either all about the head or all about supernatural things. Whatever it was, the, 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 the common factor was a pride that failed to grasp the unity of the body and the diversity of its gifts. You think you're so spiritual and advanced because of your knowledge or because you speak in tongues, but you're actually acting like kids. You're acting like children. So there are varieties of gifts, but it all comes from the same spirit. So don't use these things as a way of dividing the body, but rather uniting the body. And then he goes on and talks about how there are a variety of members, but one body, right? If you were truly spiritual, you would understand this. A body is both one organism and many. Each member of a body is different. A foot is not a hand, and neither is an ear and eye. But each member has a part to play in the unified body, right? Going back to the orchestra illustration, all the instruments have a part to play. And each body part is dependent upon every other body part, right? A body depends on its individual unique parts working together as a cohesive whole. So if the whole body was an eye, you wouldn't be able to hear. If the whole body was an ear, then you wouldn't be able to smell. So there are many parts of a body, and yet it is one body. In fact, the unique members of a body, the very diversity of body parts, is what creates a unified body. But Paul is realistic. There are certain gifts that will appear less important than others. They are the the weaker gifts that he speaks of. But Paul wants us to cast off this worldly paradigm and replace it with the paradigm of Christ's kingdom, right? In the church, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Yes, it is true that preaching and teaching and singing and all the public gifts seem more important. And that's not a bad thing in itself in that certain gifts are more public than others. That's true. Certain gifts have more of a wow factor than others. That's that's also true. But we must not neglect the so-called weaker gifts because they're not as showy or public. But rather, we should take care to show them greater honor. And we have to do more work to elevate them up because they're not as publicly showy or publicly glorified. So the goal is not to argue about who is more important, but rather to care for each other. And the result is that we all rejoice. That when the more public gifts recognize the less public gifts, the whole church shares in the joy of seeing some of the more quote-unquote weaker gifts being elevated before others. So this is God's vision for the church, an interdependence in which 
people recognize the indispensability of each member and that each member works together, bringing their unique contributions and gifts to build up the church in unity. But God does not give every gift equal spotlight. He appointed the apostles first, then prophets, then teachers, etc., etc. So the apostles and prophets forged the foundation of the church, which we build upon. And that's what Paul notes in 1 Corinthians 3. So yeah, the apostles are going to have more notoriety. They're, you know, they're, they're going to be have, have more of a, a weight in the church, but that's not a bad thing. That's just how God builds a foundation. And our job is to play our role and build upon that foundation. But that doesn't mean that the gifts that come after the foundation are less important. It just means that they perform a different task in the phases of God building his building. A foundation is laid first, and then things are laid on top of it. Now, there does seem to be an expectation that these gifts continue to operate. So if we assume that things like administration, helping, and teaching are gifts that continue, why would it be different for miracles, gifts of healing, and tongues? It seems like they're all listed in that list, and unless we want to pick and choose which ones stopped and which ones continue, it seems kind of arbitrary. But more on that in 1 Corinthians 14. The point here is that we should not expect everyone to have the same gift. Not everyone is an apostle. Not everyone's a prophet. That's okay. We find unity not by being all the same, but by uniting through our differences, through our different offices, our different gifts, having all those things actually be something that contributes to the greater whole. And through that diversity, the oneness is achieved. Unity is achieved. And and the lifeblood of this unity, how can we have diverse members and gifts in one body, in one spirit. We have to pursue love. Love binds everything together. And that's in chapter 13. And that's the final point that Paul kind of gives, at least in this section. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is one of the most quoted wedding verses in the Bible, and for good reason. But its original context is for the local church. Love is the principle that binds together the church. Sure, you speak in tongues of men and angels, but without love, it's nonsense. You can have prophetic powers, spiritual understanding, great faith. You might get a book deal, but without love, what's the point? You may be a martyr. You give your your body up to be burned. But if you don't have love, well, what did you really give your life for? We like to speak about love in the abstract or like a feeling. But when it gets specific, that's, that's when we start to get convicted, right? Love is patient and kind. Right? How's your patience for people who cut you off in traffic, who don't live up to your lofty standards? Love does not envy or boast, nor is it arrogant or rude. That is shameful. Being rude is, is not just you know, being mean to someone, but it's, it's practicing shameful things. So does Instagram help you love or does it help you envy? Does Facebook help you love or does it cause boasting? Do you participate in or approve of shameful activities like the man in chapter five who sleeps with his mother-in-law and the church does nothing about it? Love also does not insist on its own way, right? Paul's kind of like, you know, I'm looking at you, stronger brother who eats meat offered to idols in the temple without caring about your weaker brother, right? It's not about you. And love is not resentful or irritable. Do you ever feel bitter towards people? Are you easily irritated by your kids or by your coworkers or your, your friends? It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but in the truth. Truth is not opposed to love. And beyond that, love is not cynical. It is durable. It endures. It bears. It believes and hopes always. It's not scoffing at the world. It's not mocking the things of God. It, it's, it's believing. It's trusting. 
Now, love is what marks the truly mature. And, and really, that's kind of the point of 1 Corinthians. Because love is what characterizes God's eternal kingdom. And Paul, at the end of chapter 13, is, is saying, you boast in prophecies and tongues. But those are things that are passing away. That's only for this age. We're not going to need their revelatory power when we see Christ face to face. And he uses this maturity metaphor, right? The irony is that they're boasting in childish things as if they were adults. But if they were adults, they would see that love is the most important thing to put on. So, so you boasting in your tongues and your gifts of healing and your gifts of wisdom and knowledge those are only things that are provisional. We need them now because we don't have the full revelation of Christ that we will have when he returns. But what we will have in its fullness when Christ returns is love. So instead of majoring on these temporary things that are going to pass away, why not major on the eternal thing, love? That is the engine that guides all these gifts to their proper end and is the thing that characterizes what God's kingdom is all about. Love is the most important thing. Now, faith and hope are built upon God's love for us. It's God's love that creates the church. It's God's love that, that is behind the gospel. And it is what binds the diverse gifts and members into the unified body by the one spirit. Right? The spirit of God is the spirit of God's love. It is his comforting presence with us, powerfully present within the church. That is the focus of the church. And that is what allows us to use our gifts to serve the church. And so what are the unique gifts that you have? Are you contributing to your church? Are you using them in a way that blesses and honors others? Or is it something to bless and honor yourself? Because if it is, then you are lacking the key ingredient to what makes a church run. And that is love. 